0: This is episode number two with Roscoe Patterson. Welcome to the Life Optimized Show. My name is Dave Singh, and each week I bring you fascinating conversations with inspiring thought leaders from all around the world about what it really takes to optimize your business, leadership, and life. Roscoe, my man, thanks for coming on the show. Really glad to have you here. I'm very excited because there are some really interesting things that I want to talk about. And right off the bat, I want to, uh, I want to tell people that, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time and uh, I've known you, well, I've known of you for a few years, actually. Um, at the kind of start of when I... Uh, kind of ventured down into really realizing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and there was a system and process to it that I could do which was actually at uh, Jeff and Kane's Rockstar Trainer and we were in the same uh, batch and I was you same, know, I, the same cookie cutter we're, exactly yeah but you know you were a different kind of cookie to me for sure <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember you know over the next uh, year or two really kind of following on with your uh, your career really watching what you were doing over time and we had kind of bumped into each other interacted and even at uh you know coach's masterclass we had kind of interacted for a bit but it wasn't really until the second half or or later that we actually connected and started becoming friends and even that i mean we didn't really become friends then so you probably don't know this but um you've been someone in the in the kind of you know in, in our community of entrepreneurs that i've really really admired and you might find this quite hilarious but I actually really admired you for being quite dumb, and. <laughs> <laughs> but let me let me explain what I let me explain what I mean by that. <laughs> I love you because you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean dumb in the sense that you're not intelligent, um, but what I mean is is that a lot of people that I've come across in this uh, in this community, including myself, are too smart for their own good. They get in their way oh, well, because they don't know how to learn something and then apply it and then learn a little bit more and then apply it learn a little bit more and then apply it and I've always admired you for being you know in a way you can say so smart that you didn't become so smart that you got in your own way Um, that you know you were always working on stuff optimizing it a little bit and then making progress and and I in my opinion at least from an objective perspective I think a lot of your fantastic uh, phenomenal success is actually based on that so, you know, since then we've um, we've obviously become uh, good friends. It's been a while since we've caught up, but uh, but that's cool. And yeah, look, man, I'm just really excited to have a conversation with you and let people know off the bat as well that this conversation is not going to be about your business. I'm much more interested in you as a person and how you know what what really drives you to optimize things and and what really drives you to optimize your life and the lives that you're impacting. So just to kick things off, uh, just so that we do cover the bases, um, yeah. for those of you who might not know you, uh, sorry, for those of uh, the listeners who might not know you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Just tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Sure. Well, I'll keep, I'll keep the intro super brief, but essentially um, my core brand you know, or, and, and my core identity as a human being really um, is Heart Centered moneymakers. Um, and for me, you know, like what I'm just ferociously passionate about is helping people, um, you know, hold on to their dreams more tightly than they do their challenges, which they seem to do very well at the moment. And um, I just I see that, you know, like there was, a, there was a quote from the Dalai Lama around about two years ago that really switched my journey around and shook me up a lot. And the Dalai Lama's quote was um, The Western world will be saved by the Western woman. Essentially, and essentially, what I made that mean was not that I needed to go and get an operation, but that (laughs) that it was that it was going to be heart centered businesses or basically social entrepreneurism that was going to bring the Western world back into shape. So that you know a lot of that, and and, you know, to use the the Dalai Lama as the example, it's that it's that feminine, softer energy um, that would come back into the business world or into life that would make life more. Containable for you know future generations essentially. So, so for me, what I'm really passionate about is that marriage between um, systems and processes, and then also life and flow and and actually enjoyment and having it as having it happen as well. Um, you know, so the the optimization that you speak of for me, that's really just. It's just processes because we do need processes because that's how everything gets done. You know, like the fundamentals of everything, even the fundamentals of walking or learning to walk as a baby are the same for, for most human beings, you know. Um, so I really get passionate about that. So that's a little bit about me and, and kind of what I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm really present to, you know, my vision for the planet, but also I'm present to my pain as what exists here and, and I don't live in a fantasy world where I just live in this big picture vision. Um, I, I, I realize that to get there, you've got to kind of, you know, <laughs> for the lack of better terms is you've got to be dumb and boring and do what needs to be done to have an effect in this lifetime. Um, so, thank you for the compliment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're, you're most welcome. Um, it, it was a very sincere one, even though it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But... Yeah, look, I think it sort of comes down to this whole. Uh, I mean, you can break it down to this masculine energy versus feminine energy, and sure. you know that kind of stuff as well. But it, it's interesting in this. Uh, you know, sometimes I think the people who have the best intentions are often the least equipped to to mm-hmm. make a difference in the world. At least, generally speaking. Do mm-hmm. you do you see that as well with people that you come across, or do you think that's just a matter of you know what you focus on?
1: I was having this conversation with um, my business partner John this morning uh-huh. we have a friend that's like just politically enraged at the moment as to how Australia is being managed by um, you know the Prime Minister in charge at the moment which is Tony Abbott hmm. and um, uh, not not to jump into politics but rather just the, the way she was you know basically ranting per se about um, her, her opinion or her view is, is that he's not doing a great job and um, and the way she was putting her passion or her energy into it it was just like it was like shooting it was like shooting a gun in a range that had no target hanging up at the other end to even be shot at to know whether she was successful or not it was mm-hmm. just a rant and it didn't go anywhere and it just saddens me to see people who have these passions or these causes that just kind of end up dead in the water because they're they they do not have something that's dumb and boring behind it like a process or a system you know, um, and 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 they feel uh, one of the things that, you know one of the big things I noticed at the moment is is that um, take business owners for example is they all went and got a business so they could have freedom and they didn't have to follow the rules of a boss, and then they got a business and they got a reality check, which is to have to create systems so that the business runs. Mm-hmm. So there they are losing their freedom again and their experience of it or their creativity. Um, so I, I guess the thing is is it, it's it's this. This, you know, people with these beautiful messages like this lady having a rant, if if they don't have a, 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 a something to put it in, like a, you know, you can't get from A to B without having a vehicle to go from A to B. Even if that vehicle is just your body and you're walking from A to B, but you have to have a vehicle to go there. Um, and and a lot of people are missing that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Do you think that's that's something to do with the fact that? these people have just been pushed to the extreme of, um, you know, being enraged by what they believe is unethical or improper or incorrect, uh, you know, according to their own worldview? Or do you feel it's it's a personality type? Because I think, you know, people like you and I who are in the world of entrepreneurship and in the world Mm. of uh, coaching, one thing I've realized is that we tend to come across a lot of extreme personalities uh, we, oh yeah you know we meet the the superstars of the world and we meet the you know Crazies. raging hippie crazy <laughs> people um, yeah completely out there in the world and th- they both have their place you know I'm not saying that um, they shouldn't be there and at the same time it makes me wonder well maybe that's just what we see where possibly 80% of the world is just you know the world that's sitting in the middle what about them? How do we actually empower them to consider these uh, conversations? Because maybe they're the ones that, you know, walk past uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, protest and just kind of look at it and don't necessarily think, you know, what a bunch of raging hippies. They just think, oh, okay, another protest. Well, I got to get to yeah. my day job because I have, you know, uh, kids to feed and a family to take care of and a mortgage to pay.
1: Well, I think you know, like um, for me. You know, having, uh, you know, I, I guess you know what I do in Heart and Money Mark is essentially marketing, business, entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That 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 skill set for me, when I look at something like Occupy Wall Street, I, I look at it and I go, if they actually had a funnel behind it and they had, you know, they did copywriting questions and they they studied their marketplace and got clear. So Occupy, for example the idea or the concept behind that is for the the average man to get their rights back over the corporations essentially in a nutshell yeah um and they're not actually looking at what are the desires of the customer and the customer is the everyday person mm. it's actually not the corporation and 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 so when you when you get into what is it that every the everyday person wants then they do want justice and things like that but it's not being marketed to them instead it's being you know banged on the front door of corporations in the middle of the city so it's just it's just actually unorganized but it's a brilliant mess it's like it's a brilliant message in its own right like, i mean corporations should be held responsible yeah um um and you know and, and and also that they should be allowed to operate under the proviso of making money there's nothing wrong with making money as long as they're doing the right things with it mm-hmm. um and right according to whom well just you know as long as it's humane you know like they're not. They're not killing anyone off. Yeah. Um, I think the. I think essentially, any movement, you know, any capitalist um, can be essentially good at heart, and any activist can be a capitalist at heart too. And I think it's when they, when they look at each other, they kind of they get enraged and don't really know how to operate together. But I think that if you look at it, an activist essentially is like the mother or feminine. And the capitalist is essentially the masculine, or the the process, or the the yeah, essentially the masculine. And the thing that I mean, my mission essentially is to marry the two up. Is is you know to empower these activists with capitalist tools because when they can understand that you put it in the same vehicle, you can take a message where you want it to go. I look at things like who gives a crap or thank you order or, you know, Kiva or all the sorts of projects out there right now that are making a difference and making money at the same time. And it's okay. Hmm. And it's in, until you look at saving the world through the eyes of a capitalist, then it's not going to sustain. It's going to be like a fundraiser and it's going to go away after you've done the fundraising.
0: Yeah, so, it's, it's interesting. I've, you know, um, as you know, I recently spent a few months across Europe and I went yeah. to Scandinavia as a part of that as yeah. well and I learned a lot about culture but also the political systems in different areas and I realized that in some parts of the world that have deliberately detached themselves from uh, a lot of quote unquote americanization mm. and the, the kind of media that we're exposed to <clears throat> they you know they're, they're quite content in a system that really has this sweet sort of complementation between being a democracy and being um, you know, basically a socialist society, mm. but when you speak to people who are these, you know, raging um, Occupy Wall Street uh, types, and I know it sounds a bit condescending and I, I don't mean it that way But I mean that <laughs> they're the people on the extreme of that sort of stuff yeah. And you ask them, well, okay, if you think that it's not that there is a problem with capitalism It's that capitalism is the problem What's the alternative? Do you do you think socialism is the alternative? do you think you know marxism is the alternative and 99% of the time they actually haven't got a clue they don't yeah, know what I the think, alternative is
1: i i think i think the alternative is to actually like i mean you know it's like if someone um if someone if someone contracted you know a disease mm-hmm. um but the disease was non-terminal yeah we could all of a sudden say you know that that person is no longer you know a viable option for certain roles like for example if you have certain medical disabilities you can't get certain jobs or whatever so we can say that that person is no longer viable for that Mm -hmm. but people can go through healing and heal themselves of different things and then return to being capable of doing things they weren't capable to do before and I think capitalism needs to be looked at through those eyes so we can actually just heal our relationship with it and if we actually see it do some good rather than seeing the monopolies that have been at play with it you know um I think I, th- I generally think um, I generally, and this is a broad generalization, but I generally think that it's not about having any one system. I mean, the world's going to always be a multitude or an intricate web of different systems with different countries. I think it's about healing with the systems that currently exist. I think it's about a consciousness. I don't think it's about a resystemization. You know, we've we've already got we've already got the leverage that we need to make this planet epic, you know, and the businesses to be epic. And you know, like I, I think you probably have a similar experience to me, Dev. Like I walk around the street, like I literally, like I I count my blessings every morning. I get clear on what breaks my heart every single day. Like I, I literally, the first question I ask myself when I wake up is, of all the forces and things going on out there in the world, which of them breaks my heart the most? And I get really clear on what ticks me off first up. And then the next thing I do is I count my blessings or my gratitude until I get really present to those. And I do both because I don't want to live in a fantasy of counting my blessings and I don't want to live in the complete anger of just being present to what I hate. I want to live somewhere on the center line. And what I've noticed since I've been doing that for the last probably seven months um, is there, there, there is actually equalization already here available to us we're just going to choose to see it you know um, you can live at any end of the paradox in the planet and say that it's all screwed up and you know it's all wrecked and you know you can live at either end of the spectrum but what, what if we're just what if we're just evolving like we have been always already you know And and what if this is just totally the perfect place we're meant to be
0: I like it, man. That's that's beautiful. Um, I like it. It makes a lot of sense to me. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with a friend of mine who, he's he's actually heavily involved with um, the United Nations Australian Representative Organisation, but he works for the World Bank. So right. he's you know he's very he's sort of an activist, not really an activist I wouldn't say, but he's very he's an advocate. You know he's um, he's involved in a lot of uh, social change work, social impact stuff. He likes being a part of that community. Uh, and he likes talking about things around consciousness and um, and just you know basically social impact social change and social welfare and he works for the World Bank so I was talking to him about this when I first uh, realized that he he was working there and I said you know how do you kind of consolidate the two because I am probably a little bit more objective just because I've you know uh, had relations with people on both sides of that kind of a fence but I told him, I said, I'm sure you get a lot of flack from people who are saying that A, either you're a hypocrite or B, uh, you know, like, are you infiltrating the system trying to heal it from the inside? (laughs) collapse it from within. (laughs) collapse it from within (laughs) or something. (laughs) And, um, you know, basically our conversation just kind of came to the point where it's it's just not that black and white. It's not that simple. You, uh, you know, you can't sit on a high horse that is completely detached from the way systems work and proclaim to either destroy them or proclaim to heal them from a distance you kind of got to be in the game to be able to play it and to be able to shape it uh, at the same time we were talking about something which i want to ask you about is that as i said there's 99% of people who just walk past these protests and say you know i've got a family to take care of i i don't at least on an unconscious level they say i don't have time to get involved in this stuff right If someone like that is listening to this show right now, and they're saying that, look, I'm, you know, a diligent citizen, I uh, am a law abiding citizen, I, you know, contribute where I can, I give to charity, if there's a natural disaster in Asia, for example, you know, I'll donate a little bit more. um, And I generally contribute to society, I have a job. So I'm a decent human being. All of this stuff is something that I would rather leave to those that that one percent of people whatever side of the fence that they're on whether they're you know extreme capitalists or extreme hippies they're the ones that are going to have this discussion they're the ones that are going to do the work they're the ones that are going to solve this problem it doesn't really affect me the everyday man it doesn't affect us what would you say to someone who's thinking like that
1: firstly um Look, I, the question that I shared with you just a moment ago, the, of all the forces and things going on out there in the world, which of them breaks your heart the most? Um, one of the things that I found with that question is um, that question, when, when it's asked repetitively to any human being, it gets them clear on what what they have a hunger for fixing. Mm-hmm. And I think, first of all, the first steps is, is that you've got to be hungry to, you've got to be hungry for change for change to occur. There has to be a, enough reasons why for anyone to do anything at any point in time. Um, I think if if there's this mentality that you want to just kind of you know like I'm, I'm in, in all honesty the, the the minimum someone could do is just you know do the ten percent tidings to charities and you know and do it to people who are doing the good fight at least at bare minimum Mm. um and the way i just a couple of suggestions around that if anyone chooses to do that um i personally donate but i would never share who i donate with or how much i donate to anyone um and in fact all the charities that i donate to i donate to anonymously so no one's calling me and there's no guilt trips around the money or anything like that it's completely anonymous and there's nothing there's no awards or accolades or anything for it. It's done purely because it's given to help. Um, the, the, the next thing I would say is that um, if anyone said to me that they don't have the time to do it, then this is where you need to get creative. Um, I've got a client, for example, who's really passionate about helping um, people who live in social housing. Who who want to start enterprising or creating little small entrepreneurial projects and, and get out of their situation essentially take themselves from below below you know the, the, poverty, the line. poverty line to essentially some sort of entrepreneurial exploits and um, she's you know she's a business coach and she's one of my clients and I help her and all that sort of stuff but the thing that she was challenged by is, is obviously this client has no money. Um, and she's, you know, I'm asking her this question. I'm like, "What breaks your heart the most?" And she's like, "You know, people who really want to do it but can't, or don't have the experience that they can." I said, "Great, cool. So let's get creative. Let's let's work with this." So, so what we did was we created a program where she could work with people that she was already working with, and for every person that she took on, um, so she just works with small business owners essentially, and right. and small entrepreneurs. And I said, for, so basically, what happens is when you put the proposal together, or you put it in front of them put a photo in front of them as well and show them who they're going to be sponsoring and go one for one, plate for plate. Nice. Um, so essentially, she gets to live out the action of helping who she really wants to help but also helping the people that still need her help anyway.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: there's this great book that I love. Uh, it's called After Enlightenment Comes the Dishes. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. It's, it, it's like you will do something purposeful and meaningful but there will be stuff to do, there will be dumb and boring processes to follow and it's got to be a willingness for a a balance of the two you know, um, this purposefulness needs to go hand in hand with um, process and and what has to occur in order for the change to occur Um, and sometimes that is to do stuff that people don't feel like doing, you know like, you know, after enlightenment comes the dishes, you know, like the last thing a monk wants to do is wash a plate, you know, like, you know, he he just wants to sit in a mountain and just stay in bliss. Um, but life keeps occurring.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is, uh, be in the world, not of the world. And Mm -hmm. what that essentially means is that, you know, you can, you can practice a lot of spirituality by being in the world and being conscious of the world around you. And, being conscious to the fact that you're having this experience where you're a part of a system and part of a whole bunch of stuff going on around you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be attached to any of it. And I think a lot of people, especially this alludes to uh, something you said earlier, which I'll, I'll explain as well, it alludes to the fact that a lot of people get uh, caught up in this idea of, well, I'm going to be a very spiritual person, which means I'm not going to be attached to anything and they kind of fall over the edge to not caring about anything at the same time. But then, if they kind of bring themselves back to a place of compassion, then they get really attached. So they end up playing this kind of ping-pong game of going back and forth, um, quite violently sometimes, from being in a place of being really worked up, because they just care so much about the atrocities of the world, to being in a place of, you know, I am um, a blissful yogi, and therefore I am completely unattached, and therefore I just don't give a shit about anything. So it's not my responsibility, it's not my problem, because nothing really exists anyway, and you can get, you know, very esoteric about it uh, in that regards. Uh, blissful, like a yogi, but then at, at that end of the spectrum, they just don't care about anything, because yeah. they feel, you know, it's, um, we're, we're not even in the world, we're not of the world, it's not our problem. In fact, these problems don't really exist, because they're happening in a completely different plane, um, and, you know, just chill out, it's all good. Mm. So I'm curious to know how how have you gotten to the point of consolidating in this um, this sort of these two ideas, these two extremes in your life and finding that place of being centered for yourself and then taking action on it and what does that do for you as a, as a person? What, what do you think the value of being conscious and waking up and actually having these conversations with yourself is?
1: Look, I, I actually had a very interesting conversation about this um, with a coach of mine, Carl Buchard, that you'd know. Um, yep. And Carl and I were talking about, you know, everyone's journey, you have some highs, you have some lows. And I said to him, you know, I want the highs and lows to stop. <laughs> and And what's really interesting is whenever you work on anything with a coach, as you know, first of all... For, you know you you might say, "I want the pot to stop boiling, and usually what happens first is the pot will boil a little bit stronger than it ever has before before it'll cool down if that's the result that you're looking for and um so so I said, you know, I want the highs and lows to not be quite so high and not lows not quite so low um, and what was interesting is you know first of all, I felt like it went worse <laughs> and and then what I noticed um was I got you know I I, I neutralized or centered myself a lot more and um, just you know like by working through different areas like I mean routine is such a big part of that for me and daily practice you know spiritual practice exercise physical practice you know um, practice of just you know, mindfulness and practice of business, and you know, just really focusing on the seven areas of life and, mm. and having a practice for each of them daily, a routine uh, really does center you. Anyway, um, what I noticed in that is, is I got kind of centered, and then I was like, Oh, I'm centered. And then I was like, Hmm, centered's a little bit boring. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> There's no high here whatsoever. And I'm like, I want just a tiniest bit of a high. So I, I kind of re thought this centered thing for myself and I went okay well I want to be centered but I also don't want to be manic or have you know ferocious highs and, and, and depressing lows so I was like what if I just aim to get 1% happier each year or, or, or each month or 1% healthier um, so essentially what I look what I kind of like to look at is, is I like to so, so my personal view on how you maintain it is have a view for example say 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 an an activist right now might want Monsanto to complete their um you know to to not complete their their uh what is it the they're trying to do with the seeds like they're yeah. trying to,
0: to bugger trying off to and patent.
1: die <laughs> they're basically trying to yeah they want them they want the monsantos of the world to not be able to patent the seed right yeah. so that they can't have corporate ownership over our food supply yep Fair fair call, too, you know absolutely, like, right um so the thing is is some people have this thing like it's got to be done now, like you know like it has to occur right now, and that's that's kind of a manic. State when you're like, it has to happen by tomorrow. I see lots of entrepreneurs, for example, in the startup business, they're like, I'm going to raise a million dollars by Tuesday. And I'm like, dude, you've never raised a hundred bucks before Tuesday before that wasn't outside of your salary mm. before you decided to become an entrepreneur. I'm like, it's just not reasonable. You know, it's not, doesn't mean it's not possible. It's just not reasonable. Um, so, what I like to do is I like to look at things of what if we can just make 1% change occur? all the time but then plan and map out processes where it lasts beyond our lifetimes and this is why i say the marriage of capitalism and activism is is really the school of thought that can make you know make real change because if you look at things like um dimartini for example he talks a lot about your thousand year goal and um dimartini's wealth the way he manages his wealth dr john dimartini is a great speaker if you haven't heard of him for the listeners um Essentially, his whole monetization of what he does is going towards his centers, which are to live beyond the years that he's here on the planet to continue his work so that he continues to make consistent change throughout time and space, essentially, yeah, um, and to build a legacy beyond his years. Now, if he doesn't have those centers turning over and making money, then the activism or the change that he's trying to have occur will not occur beyond his years because no one will run a business... In deficit to hold someone else's legacy to esteem. Um, so, so the thing is, is it has to be a model that will sustain itself. So, I essentially look at it like this. My my viewpoint is, 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 is create a create a business. If you really want to create change in the world, create a business that can last beyond the years that you're here. Um, and then, and set the business goal with a thousand year goal as to what it's going to do and have occur on the planet. And then, and make it so that it only has to, you know, grow one percent a year for a thousand years to achieve that goal. So it doesn't have to stretch itself beyond what's real. Mm. And if you look at, um, if you look at, like, I mean, if you look at, it's so funny. The um, if 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 you look at anything in time, there's there's people who come. And there's, there's prophets, and there's entrepreneurs, and there's people who do stuff that changes, basically it alters history. And the people who do that are the ones who are willing to play a game bigger than themselves, that are willing to play a game that's a longer-term game than themselves. They don't care about whether it happens in their lifetime or not. I mean, look at the wars that are still going on over Jesus or, or you know like any of the prophets that have come through religions. You know, they saw beyond their lifetimes. I'm sure when they were here on this planet. You know, um, yeah. and, not, and not to get into religions, but essentially, like it's pl- it's the willingness to play a longer game is the only way you can really have change properly occur. You know, and 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 otherwise, if you're an activist who's just banging a tambourine really loud, you're just as bad as the terrorists here. You know, like on the planet. You know, you're just as you're just using the same strategy they're using and that just puts fear into people. It doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, there's more zeitgeist films on YouTube than there ever has been before and not a lot of people actually putting in place something that will create something that's longer lasting over time that can actually affect the world.
0: Yeah. You know? I like it, man. I like it that you're getting uh, you're getting quite bold with your <laughs> statements here. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are going to start getting a bit pissed off, which is great. I, I think that's awesome. Uh, I want to say I want to say a couple of things to what you said, and then I have a sort of a, a bigger question for you. So, firstly, um, there are people who will say that, like Zeitgeist kind of films, uh, you know, the education is really important to social change and social I movement. Don't disagree with that and I don't, disagree I, I don't either but quite often I'll ask a question to people who say that and I say well what's after that what's your plan after that you know you, you, once people are educated then what and sometimes the response is uh, just you know well we'll cross that bridge when we get there just right now we don't have the critical mass of people who are educated and uh, in- enlightened about all this stuff going on but also I think there's another element to this which is that the thing I loved about what you said about uh, you know the thousand-year plan is that you know in in our circles of entrepreneurship when someone gets started in this idea of moving from a nine-to-five job or even moving from a traditional freelance or self-employment model to really building a business building an empire if you will um, and they're introduced to this idea of stop trading your time for money right stop trading hours for dollars and if you think about it with this whole idea of building a legacy beyond your lifetime, if you're not doing that, you're kind of trading time for legacy, in a sense. Yeah. In, in the sense that your your perspective is limited to what you can achieve in your lifetime. Therefore, your worth is very exclusively and very specifically limited to your biological existence.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and in order to get beyond that, you know you need to you need to literally think and, and vision beyond that um, even that might be a little bit wild and out there for most people now sure. my bigger question for you is playing a bit of a de- uh, bit of devil's advocate here yeah. uh, I know that there are plenty of people and some of them might be listening to this as well thinking well that's great I'm really inspired but that's easy for you to say Roscoe because you're already successful <laughs>
1: It was actually interesting as you were saying that I was like thinking, oh, I really want to share this thing, which is perfect. You kind of just framed it up for me. Okay. You 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 may have seen the story. Do you remember the story of uh, Desert Flower?
0: I'm not sure. No, don't think so. So
1: it's 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 Desert Flower is the story of a young girl, um, and essentially she was from Africa, and she was like in a little village, and um, basically you know a place where you know. Um, Genital mutilation was still very normal for women. Yeah. Um, and so, so she literally, she just, she lived in the middle of the desert. Anyway, uh, she she where well, Somalia was the country, Somalia. Anyway, she uh, she basically, you know, she'd seen family members killed with rocks hit over the head just because they were, you know, basically racing for an apple, mm-hmm. and there was no food there. She she ran away from her family and jumped on the back of a truck and hitchhiked and literally crawled across glass and filth and disgust to find her way um, and basically hitchhiked and was a stowaway and found her way all the way to Europe um, and essentially to Paris. And she became, um, I can't remember her name for the life of me, But she became uh, one of the top three runway models in the world. Models,
0: yeah. I I remember the story now.
1: Yeah, and and so for me, when people say that you know it's okay for you to say Roscoe, I I mean I've I've been I've been fortunate enough, you know, like I grew up with, um, you know, not you know I tell the story that I grew up in a wealthy family. I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. I grew up in a family where my mum and dad would do anything for me. Um, So if I wanted something, they'd give it to me. I was just spoiled it wasn't even that my family was extremely wealthy um it was that yeah, i was just taken care of and pampered and overloved <laughs> um <laughs> which was which was good um but i also you know my story you know i went bankrupt because that formed an abusive relationship with money for me yeah um and and that was the greatest lesson of all time for me because it was at a time when the GFC hit and my parents actually couldn't fork me out for the first time in my life and it was the greatest learning. You know, I think I think the universe conspired to have me have that experience. And so I, so I had to rebuild from nothing and I rebuilt from nothing quicker than ever before because I realized one thing. And the one thing that I realized is that it's just a matter of actually just taking action like, it, education is one thing, which and and education and conversation and realizations of what needs to be changed need to occur. Conversations like this are great, but without implementation, it's just like it's it's like useless chitter chatter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, without any implementation whatsoever, even if even if only one thing occurs as a result of like people listening to this conversation, even if they just even if the one thing that occurs is they consider what their answer is to that question that I asked earlier. Even if they just consider, even if they take one action as a Wh- which result. Which question? Of,
0: just repeat it that, so it's clear.
1: That was the, of all the forces and things going on out there in the world, which of them breaks their heart the most? Okay. And it's not a light question. Actually, the gentleman who asked me that question, his name was Andrew Harvey, and he wrote a book called Sacred Activism. Mm. Um, and, and basically, the premise of that book is, is that we all have a unique piece to the puzzle. We all bring something to the game. Now, it might be that you just support someone that's playing a bigger game. Um, we do need people that are helping others. You know, um, you know, I, I run a company and I have employees, and, I, and if I didn't have people that believed in my vision as much as me, then my vision couldn't come true. Um, so that's just as equally important. If if they don't think that they have the um, power to create a, a plan that will take them that far, then reach out to people like myself or yourself and see how they can pitch in, you know, um, or, or anyone really that's that's making those same sort of moves. Like yeah. just do something, you know.
0: Um, so I want to ask you something kind of personal. Sure. And that it. is that, you know that i still i still sympathize with people who say who say what what the question was originally that well you know you can do it because you're successful and i understand where you're coming from because i know you and you know i kind of have a background of the context and obviously along my own adventures i've i've met a lot of people who will realize that it's not that you necessarily get successful and then you're empowered to start thinking in this way sometimes you start thinking in this way and you start adopting these beliefs and then all of a sudden, the success comes to you, mm. and it might be a different kind of success, in fact. But that success and fulfillment package deal <laughs> that you get, you know, <laughs> yeah, becomes you just all You the
1: travel agent. You say, "I'll have one of those, please." <laughs> exactly. It just, well, it, it's almost like just
0: checking in and booking a ticket online, right? Um, but it it, ha- it happens when you're clear about the addresses you want to type into your browser, and yeah. And I know that sounds like a joke, but I'm not taking the mickey of it. I mean it quite seriously. And what I want to know is, uh, you know, you've been through uh, a very challenging relationship. You have a a really beautiful son who I'm yet to meet, and I'm sure I will someday. And you've kind of, um, uh, you know, knowing you, I know that in the past uh, year especially, you've um, been able to remarkably optimize your relationships. You've been able to remarkably optimize your uh, health and your fitness. And you've you've been able to remarkably optimize a lot of things in your life that don't necessarily have anything to do with your business or career. So what I want to know is how have these things that you've learned about the way that you think about the world and your conscious commitment to your thousand year plan um, and your your conscious commitment to you know, even just conscious capitalism, for example, how has that impacted all these other areas of your life?
1: Look, I think I think, for me the, you know, I've gone through, it's funny because I know my values quite well so I kind of relate this to values and for those of you who don't know what values are, it's just basically what's most important to you in life and for me, um, my highest value is relationships um, and, and, and the people around me so I, I care most about the people and then I think my third value down is business or, or monetization. Um, so for me, I'm fortunate enough that people come first, but my business suffered greatly, as you know. Um, you're, you, you know, we're good friends. Um, I think just prior to um, me going through quite a serious split and quite, quite a very expensive split for me, um, yeah. and it impacted that area of my life. I think the, I think the. I think the thing that I've noticed is I always so so I have I've got myself my my you know sights set firmly on a vision that's much bigger than me for this conscious capitalism movement of huts and money makers and you know there's a thousand year vision that goes with that um, and usually um, when any, anything occurs in life and something happens in life I ask myself this question which is if I was to notice what is useful here what is it that I might notice that's useful to take me towards that vision now as a result of what's going on around me. So I just uh, constantly ask myself, you know, if I was to notice what was useful here, what might I notice, you know? And I just allow my attention to go wherever it goes because um, our imaginative brain has just as many of the answers as our logical brain. And that question allows us quite often to access all parts of our imagination. Um, So, you know, I've been um, in essentially, you know, like, at uh, points in my life where I thought you know screw this it 's all over like you know i've been bankrupt and then you know like experience uh a very extensive very expensive separation and had the experience that you know it, that that it was just never going to become the way I wanted it to be for me um financially and when when i when I discovered myself in the moment and and said to myself, you know if I was to notice what I might notice here it was to, you know, to actually for me, and this is what it was for me, um, which which might not be the answer for anyone else. So I'm not saying this as, as a lesson for anyone else. But the lesson for me was is that I actually have to be responsible for myself on all levels, you know. And that was just the thing that I noticed in that moment. I remember I was sitting in an empty apartment where half my shit had just been taken by someone. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I was very clear on, you know, what is it? What is it that I've got to learn here, and 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 I think it's that simple taking responsibility, or it's that um, action consequence, you know, and um, that's what I learned in that moment. So, so that question is probably the best way to answer your question is is that each person has something to learn by everything that happens to them. My my belief system essentially is that the universe will give you signs. You know, sometimes it'll give you a feather and, and it'll say, you know, just follow this way. And then if you don't listen to that, it'll, it'll kind of throw a brick. And then if you don't <laughs> listen to the brick, then it'll one day you'll wake up and you'll get slammed by the tra- semi-trailer, you know. Um, <laughs> so, for, so, so for me, it's like, listen up when the feather comes. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why I use that question. But I always anchor it back to a vision or, or something solid something that's cemented for me um, if you just notice what is useful this is where you get a lot of the fluffy la la hippies is they just notice what's useful and they're like oh I should be doing this but they don't have it actually going anywhere or a solid direction hmm. um, and, and you know I find that that solid direction is probably the most important thing and then keep tracking back to one destination I mean as a single human being on a planet of seven and a half billion people I think it'd be fair to say that what greatest way to have impact is for you to do one thing better than anyone else and to just focus on one thing. So for me, it's, that's what it's about is is for us to just focus on that one thing and then pull everything back, pull all of our resources and all of our life back to that one thing.
0: Do you still get scared? Do you have oh, moments scared. of...
1: Shit, yeah. I still want to throw in the towel. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I once got told by a great mentor... Um, that you know, I, I I said that you know, like I was basically, I actually said that I felt like a fraud at the time. It wasn't that I felt scared, mm. but it was essentially a fear of what other people thought of me, which everyone has. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And and they turned around to me and they said, "Yeah, you're right. You know, that that you you feel scared, you feel terrified, just like every other leader that came before you." And and to me, I, I kind of recognize if I don't feel scared, then I'm not playing the big enough game. And I think that, you know, the universe only gives you what you can handle. So you, once you, we, we kind of, we put challenges in front of ourselves so that we get the opportunity to grow. And if we don't see it like that, then we'll never have fun. And the entertainment system will constantly be stuck on a channel we don't like if we don't choose, if we don't choose that what's showing up for us is exactly what we need. Hmm. You know, um otherwise, the entertainment system is just going to be like reruns of the show you hate the most um but if you really want to get what you want the most out of life, first of all, you've got to recognize that there's no remote control you've got to get up and do something about it yourself <laughs> and then, yeah. then second, and then second of all, you know it, you've got to choose that what's showing on the screen in front of you is exactly what you need to go where you want and use that as leverage, you know um. I know that I definitely had to do that when I went bankrupt, and I definitely had to do that when I faced, you know, financial challenges um, from a separation, as you know. So, so for me, I look at every single thing as being a feather or, or or a part of my pathway, and I ask, how can it be useful towards where I'm heading? And and the more certainty you have about where you're heading, the quicker you get there, and the quicker the signs show up to help you get there too.
0: Mm. You know. Um, I've worked with a lot of people around the world in different cultures and I, I say around the world not to not to boast the fact that I have international clients but I say that to emphasize the fact that people in different cultures and different geographies and different markets you know have a lot of similar experiences and challenges in business and just in life in general and a lot of people in you know these diverse places where you think that they might not have anything to do with each other or they might not have anything in common have this one common experience especially when they've uh, when they're starting out in business of really struggling and not everyone listening to the show is in business necessarily but people generally insane, at some point in their life yeah, the yeah exactly. first time that's, know, that's right exactly and, yeah. you, and you have that experience of struggling right where you're just kind of stuck at this point where it's not so much that you want to give up but the question comes up and it's come up for me as well Um, at multiple times, in fact, in my life, where I say, well, where where do you draw that line between perseverance and just being stupidly stubborn? And how do you know when to keep digging just in case you might hit gold, and when to change directions? Because a lot of people acknowledge that it's important to know that, that, you know, sometimes you need to just put the brakes, reassess what you're doing, and actually think about whether it's still worth it or not. Or you just got to keep pushing through the struggle and persevering, and uh, you know, you uh, as, as you mentioned, the water you know boils a lot uh, more before it sort of cools down. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic uh, repertoire of um, of metaphors, by the way. You've uh, you've definitely evolved in that regard.
1: <laughs> they're, they're all made up on the spot. <laughs> Amazing. man. I hope you I hope you
0: start writing these down. <laughs> so yeah, what do you like? What's what's your advice in that, in that sense? How does someone de- how does someone decide?
1: Well, so, for example, like my, my belief is um, that question that we asked earlier is the way you get clear on your passion of all the forces and things going on out there in the world, which then breaks your heart the most, and you ask yourself it repetitively for 30 days, mm-hmm. and you get clear about what it is you could do to heal that part of the world, um, and then you essentially set out a mission. So, say someone answered that question, and they said, you know, the, you know, the thing that breaks their heart the most is, um, you know, entrepreneurs, um, you know, being uh, entrepreneurs basically getting past, um, getting past you know the first three years, and that you know like the, there's you know the stat is like eighty five percent of entrepreneurs or whatever it is don't make it past the th- first three years and their business closed mm. as a result. Um, so essentially, what I what I what I would say to that person is, um, you know. There's a hundred different ways to help entrepreneurs get past that. So, if you're digging down one rabbit hole, so to speak, and you're feeling tested by it, um, I first of all, you know, the first thing isn't to stop digging and, and change directions. Yeah. The first thing I'd do is, is is notice shit, you know, this feels like crap all of a sudden. Mm hmm. Um, and just acknowledge that that's going on, and actually be present to that. That's actually that's actually so much more magical than people understand. Um, and then I and then I don't really have a non-esoteric way to say it, but I would literally go yeah. and find wherever you know I, I call it finding your ocean. So because for me it literally is the ocean. I go down. And I I put my feet in the sand. I live on the beach. Um, and for me, I, I go down and I stand on the beach and I look up at the sky and I literally, I stand there until, um, and, and, and I literally, like in my head, kind of say, you know, like I'm surrendering this back, this one back to you universe. I can't do it on my own. Um, and I stand there until I literally, it kind of sounds a bit fluffy, but I stand there until I literally feel the weight lifting. Um, and I breathe through it and I just, just stand there until it's, just like until I feel it lifting and feel experience being connected with everything else that it is, and I just notice that you know like when I do that, I notice that the clouds are so goddamn gorgeous, or the stars in the night sky, or whatever it might be. I just I notice that that couldn't all exist, um, and that couldn't all be possible without something bigger being at play for me. So I'm like, you know, well if the you know whatever the bigger is at play. You know, help me out with this one, eh? It's like, and and then after I've done that, is I just notice what shows up, and I keep continuously ask myself that question: is if I was to notice something here, what is it I might notice, and how might it be useful? And and so, sometimes you do have to cut your losses, you do have to stop digging those holes. But I wouldn't necessarily state that that, that just happens straight away. Um, I'd say that you want to kind of you want to kind of get present first before you make any rash decisions. Surrender it up, ask for some Ask for some help, you know, from just... Even the process of me going down the beach, like I know enough psychology and enough NLP and enough quantum physics to know that the act of me just doing that is actually just giving myself permission to think about it properly. Yeah. Even though it might sound esoteric and fluffy and woo-woo. No, I'm look, uh, just-
0: I don't think it does. I don't think it does sound esoteric and fluffy. I think it's yeah. just a matter of... Sometimes you just got to go clear your head in a yeah, way that the- <laughs> you know in a, in a way that is uh, more intensive than just taking a 5 minute break and uh, yeah, you know and grabbing a cup that of coffee. Yeah, it's like and,
1: intentful.
0: Exactly, yeah, intentful. that's a yeah. great word. And it's interesting when you said uh you know when you described yourself standing on the beach and kind of raising your arms up to the heavens and uh what shows up I for some crazy reason I had this vision of you standing at the edge of um a giant cruise liner and leonardo dicaprio coming from behind <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and just embracing yeah, you oh <laughs> <of the> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so funny. um yeah look i mean for me i i really think there's something in that in just i mean you know even even if it's even and I, and i say even if it's just a load of baloney just for the people that are like whoa that's intense dude mm. um but even if it is just a load of baloney, the fact that I've gone down there and made the space in my mind or the time for myself and my soul to allow it to be possible that there is a way to move forward. Yeah. I'm just opening up that there's more options available to me because most people when they feel like they have to give up, they're like, they're, they're like it's, it's all over, I'm all in or I'm all out and they only have those two options in the system. But quite often, there's a bajillion different options of what they could do.
0: Yeah. And I guess that state of uh, being overwhelmed really comes from a place of emotion as well. So they're quite flooded with emotion and just saying, wow, this is so overwhelming. They don't really give themselves that opportunity. I mean, we even, I should say, we don't give ourselves that opportunity as human beings quite often to really clear our head, really clear our mind, not just you know, go for a stroll and take a breath of fresh air or, or have a cup of tea, but really do something almost ritualistic, as you described, uh, to purge ourselves of that, um, you know, that conscious rationalization to allow something from within us to actually speak to us.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. the funny thing is, is um, you know, everyone can access their imagination or their inner voice or whatever it is, you know, it's the, it's the voice in their head that when, you know, when I say, you know, that voice in your head and it goes, that one, yes, me, (laughs) no, no, I don't have a voice in my head, um, but (laughs) it's the, everyone when you ask yourself a question your your brain gives you an answer there's there's naturally an answer that follows if you wait long enough and you listen to the gap that's kind of if you're willing to honor and respect the the time between you where you are and getting the answer you want um then the answer shows up quicker but it's just being like that being present and allowing that to occur is just that's that's kind of the so 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 just to go back to the question which is how do you choose when to give up or when to not? I just like to think of it like this is there's never a such thing as giving up. It's only an unfolding or showing up more of how it's going to occur for you. You know, I don't think there is a such thing called giving up. I, I think that that just doesn't exist in my world or in my realm. It's just an unfolding or, or, an, or a new direction perhaps, um, or a new possibility is showing its way to you.
0: Okay, fair enough. I'll... I'll I'll buy that in terms of linguistics, and <laughs> <laughs> and I can appreciate
1: in terms of us not spending an hour on that theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that terms too. Uh, no,
0: but also, yeah. Look, uh, obviously, um, you know, we're both we're both qualified in NLP and and coaching yeah. and other modalities, and we we both respect and appreciate the fact that the language you use has a huge impact on not only your uh, mindset and your behavior, but also your outcomes having said that, in a very practical terms, um, I know that there are people listening to this show who aren't privy to this world that we're a part of, so the way that they use language is going to be different, and the way they use language they're probably thinking, just putting myself in their shoes, that well, the fact is that next week I have a um, you know, I have this deal that I need to follow up, just for example um, just randomly off the top of my head uh, I have this deal that I need to follow up and um I'm just trying to formulate this situation. And basically, they need to decide whether to, okay, let's say it's a negotiation that's on the table, and, and they literally need to decide whether to continue with this negotiation or tell the other person to, you know, go ride a bike and, uh, and, and cancel and close the deal. and Or, or maybe even more dramatically, um, they need to decide whether they should go to marriage counseling or get a divorce. Like that is a very practical dilemma. It is a very, um, it's it's either or. It's very binary. You either stick it in and um, you know keep keep going and uh, sh- you know book in a marriage counselor, or you're deciding basically not to get a divorce and to save your marriage, or you're deciding that no, it's enough. Now enough is enough, and we're ending it.
1: One of the plays I do like is the play of a stop loss. Uh Um, I do enjoy them. Um, So a stop loss for those who don't know, essentially, you know, it's kind of a share marketing trade kind of thing. Mm. Um, And a stop loss is essentially where you say, you know, I'm giving this situation or this scenario um, until X date to have achieved X outcome. Otherwise, basically I'm out. Um, So share traders do this so that they don't lose too much money on the stock market. Now, for something you know as extreme as a marriage, like you're suggesting, that um, you know that's something that's definitely worth fighting for in a lot of cases, um, and sometimes it's not worth fighting for. Um, but something like a stop loss, you could set and, and and don't set a stop loss of you know if it hasn't improved by Tuesday next week, that's obviously not giving something enough time to go through cycles, <laughs> you yeah. know, like and to actually heal any 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 what. Um, but so first of all, the first rule of a stop loss is it has to be reasonable. You know, it can't be, you know, by, by tomorrow, this will be achieved. Otherwise, it's just, you know, just pull the pin now. Don't worry about setting the stop loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but a stop loss that could be reasonable. Um, so, so, for example, for me, um, I set one in that relationship that you know that I went through. I set one um, and I set it for 12 months. So I was like having challenges and I was like, I want out of the relationship. And then I, like I said, a relationship stop loss in my mind for 12 months. And then I did everything I possibly could to make it work. So I, I you know, I went to the counseling, I got the coaches, I did all the healing work I could, I did everything I could. So um, for me, that's kind of how I, another, I guess, process around that. Um but you can't flog dead horses either. You know, like I know people who were in marriages where they were in a relationship they shouldn't have been in for 25 years. Yeah. Um, and you can't flog a dead horse. So so, so that's where a stop loss might be useful. But do everything you can. Like, I mean, there, there's, there's something... And you've got to, at the end of the day, ask your heart too. Like, what is it you want? You know? Um, um, and if what you want is to be happy and you're in a scenario where that's repetitively not happening, then... You've got to at some time choose to leave that scenario or to change that scenario in order for anything to be different. So it's like, you know, yeah, the, the hard, co- they're hard calls. You know, it's obviously a hard generalization to say what is the best way to make a decision, you know. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, I think one of the greatest um, discussions or conversations, rather, that's had in uh, Landmark is. Um, the choices conversation they'll say you know why do you you know chocolate or vanilla dev which do you prefer Mm. and and you might say chocolate and and they would say to you well why did you choose chocolate and you would say because i like chocolate and they would say yes you chose chocolate because you like chocolate and you just chose it that's what you chose at the end of the day Mm. um and that's true you know like sometimes you just got to choose things and just choose it because you choose it
0: yeah Uh, you know? I'm not sure if that has anything to do with, uh, with, um, with what I'm thinking of. But for some reason, I thought of uh, Sigmund Freud's, you know, case of being up there giving this lecture on oral fixation. He was talking about he was giving a lecture and he was talking about oral fixation, uh, the Oedipus complex, and all of this psychoanalytical theory about how people are, you know, really um, a lot of their sort of uh, sexual issues and deep-seated psychological issues manifest in how they kind of you know utilize their mouth and all this the uh, icky kind of stuff and <laughs> as he was talking about this as he was talking about this he pulled out a cigar and he started smoking it and someone in the audience um asked him one of the students and they said well you know what about your, you're just smoking a cigar and everyone sort of gasped and they're like what does that mean what does that mean dr freud and he just said, my boy, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Sorry.
0: I think, yeah, I think people really crave that these days as well. That sometimes just let a cigar mean a cigar. I really, you know, what could talk. It- yeah, sorry, go on.
1: Well, one of the things I just want to add to that, one of the things I learned uh, recently is just to, you know, like I obviously, as you know, I just love all these different concepts and philosophies and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but my, the thing, that, the thing that I am most rigid on more than any other philosophy is this one is to hold on to things lightly, not tightly.
0: Mm.
1: You know, is to... To let beliefs roll through as much as the the you know the waves roll onto the ocean shores, like let them come and go, you know. I'm going to change and change form and and to not be right and to not be wrong, you know, just to be in between and 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 to hold on to things lightly, not tightly. I'm okay with being wrong. It's feedback saying, "Hey, buddy, go this way, not that way," you know, Um, and I'm cool with that.
0: Yeah, and and I think people. Stop short of realizing that that's—it's not just a mindset for the sake of being a mindset that might make you feel lighter, but it actually helps you be more productive and constructive and in uh, various areas of your life. Sorry, just dropped something. A penny dropped. Something for people just then. (laughs) Man, Mister Mister Metaphor, seriously.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's called. It's actually less. Less metaphor and more um, utilization. I'm like, um, if my brain, so, so the left brain talks in like very logic and process and the right brain talks in symbols. Yeah. So, so if my imagination goes in the direction of an ocean, I'll just use it as leverage. I'll use the, you know, I'll use the, the right brain or I'll use the symbol as the leverage because that's what really talks to, you know, the other half of our. Heads. yeah yeah it,
0: it, 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 funny thing is that's a metaphor in itself um, as a, as a, <laughs> the reason I say that is as a medical scientist whenever I have whenever this metaphor comes up I always have a, a sense of kind of moral duty as a medical scientist to tell people that um, it's actually been verified that's not true that oh, whole, really? yeah the whole left brain right brain hemisphere our brains sure. don't work that way awesome yeah it's not it literally doesn't it's not a literal thing there's no right brain is logical and left brain is creative or vice versa right. that uh, actually
1: makes sense i mean to me you know i've had mri scans being an epileptic i've had a ton of mri and eeg right. scans so i've seen the scans and when they light up both parts of the brain kind of light up pretty equally on a scan yeah um, so one of the things I, I guess i guess what i'm saying in that um, more so is is if you notice a symbol there's your brain is giving you a tiny speck or the tip of the iceberg of the information and if you dig deeper there's more available to you there because symbols can represent a whole thing like if I told everyone to think of like you know what it would be like to be Superman they can feel that you know you can breathe into that archetype so to speak and that's just a mm. symbol um, so yeah symbols are really powerful
0: no absolutely I agree with you yeah. um, Roscoe I, I could speak with you all day about this stuff and me three <laughs> yeah and and you know uh, you're like a uh, you're like a brother to me, and right. I love absolutely love having these conversations with you. And you know, even in the future, I'd love to have you back on the show. And as much as this sounds like a bit of a wrap up, I, I do have um, a couple more questions for you as well. One of them is um, you know quite poignant. I really want you to think about this. And then my last question is really a question that I endeavor to ask all of my guests. So my first question is that I love having these conversations with you, and I love playing in this territory of. You know, getting a bit esoteric and getting metaphorical, and you know, talking in this kind of woo-woo stuff, and then bringing it back to rationality and logic, and then going back into that woo area. And I think where we've both been through experiences as well as certain education and training, that we have enough of a vocabulary to have those conversations without it, uh, without losing each other, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. you know I have uh, you know some other friends, not too many, um, that I can have those conversations with, and as uh, I'm sure you do as well. But I'm really curious, and this is something I've never talked to you about, and I'm not sure if anyone has ever asked you this. How do you translate these conversations with your son?
1: It's actually really interesting. Um, thank you for asking that question, by the way. It's it's actually really interesting because I had this experience with uh, Nate which was quite a, you know, I'll probably be judged and, and be hung out to dry like Michael Jackson in a moment. But um, the, the, uh, I had an incident with Nate where he uh, was walking out the front steps of, of my home mm-hmm. and there was an ant walking across the step and he just stomped on the ant, you know, like just like a little three-year-old innocent. He didn't really know what he was doing, but he killed the ant. Yeah. You know, like he just stomped on this ant. And um, he's got a he's got an autistic um, cousin who's quite you know rough, and he kind mm-hmm. of looks up to him anyway. Mm-hmm. So I picked him up, and you know, with love, I I I bit him on the arm. And I was like, he's like ah, you know, like what are you doing? You know, like <laughs> like dad, you bit me. And I'm like, I said, how do you feel? And he said, no, y- sad, no, yuck. I'm like, how does the ant feel? He's like didn't know how to answer and I said do you think he feels good or bad he's like bad I'm like that's right I said how did you feel when daddy bit you and he's like bad I'm like that's right you've got to understand how you know what you do makes people feel how do you want to feel and he said good and I said how do you think the aunt wanted to feel and he said good and I said cool what makes you feel good and he said "Going to the park and I said let's go just go to the park. And it's um, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you can't have big, long winded, esoterical conversations with three year olds. But I mean, you know, to me, that was a magical moment for me with him. You know, like I know I, I bit my son. <laughs> you know, like I was like, I didn't know what to do. And it was really weird when it happened. It just happened. and It was like, you know, it just occurred. I was like, no, dude, look, you don't do that <laughs> you know, yeah like,
0: I don't know Pers- personally I think that's that's amazing that's, that's really cool
1: yeah I mean it was just it was you know like I know the power of break states so I was like yeah. you know, it was like it was. I've never done that too before so he was like what the heck <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: not like you stomped on him <laughs> <laughs> you no know, you know, <laughs> that, that might have been a little bit because, uh, pushing you the you boundaries <laughs> now, now you were experiencing <laughs> the same as the ad. yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, for me, I, I guess the conversations can be had with three-year-olds. And, and now, um, you know, John, my business partner, he always goes, dude, that's amazing. Um, whenever he sees me with my son, because Nate will come up to me and he'll go, dad, I'm feeling sad. And I'll be like, why, Nate? And, and he talks about his feelings. And I made him very clear that, you know, we talk about our feelings and we talk about um, any anything that we notice, you know. Okay. Um. And And that our imagination is really important.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So... It's really cool, dude. You know, it's such a gift and so grateful to be so cl- living so close to him now and spending so much time with him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully that doesn't, um, you know, emasculate him too much because I-, I don't yeah. really... I don't, sure. I actually, we I, go honestly,
1: fishing and stuff like that as well.
0: Well, no, no, yeah. hon- honestly, I'm not joking. I honestly don't know what my opinion is. I'm not a parent and I haven't... I've had relationships with um, little children as an uncle, but mm. not enough. Like, it doesn't compare at all to being a dad, right? But yeah, I I often wonder that um I never That's thought Well question. yeah, I never I never thought we'd go there in terms of you know, this, this show is called Optimize Life, but we talk about optimizing business, leadership, life and a part of life and a part of leadership as well as parenting. Oh hell so yeah. So optimizing your parenting, um, is something that, you know, I'm I've actually always been interested in this. I read a lot of uh child psychology. Yeah. Even at university I <clears throat> um I didn't do a specific subject on child psychology but it was it was one of my favorite topics to cover in uh, all of my neuropsych subjects. And yeah, I'm always I'm always interested to know where people's children come into their thousand year vision and you know what they're actively doing to actually optimize their parenting because I think a lot of people they just kind of play it by ear but they're not conscious of it. They don't they don't take the responsibility of Developing themselves as a parent specifically. They just think that it's something they'll learn as they go along.
1: I, um, I, yeah, Mike, I think the thing that I'm pretty lucky in that sense that, um, his mum and his stepdad, um, you know, his stepdad's very, drives, drives a, um, a dozer, you know, very masculine. So I'm pretty lucky. I think he's going to get a good balance out of that. Okay. Um, you know, he spends the majority of the time there and, 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 it, his mum and him, you know, have had a baby together, so no doubt they'll, they'll, you know, always be a part of each other's lives and he'll always be a part of Nate's life, so Hmm. I'm pretty fortunate for that.
0: Yeah, and and at the same time, that's not to say that um, expressing your feelings is Is in any way wrong or weaker or... But, well, it it is in a sense, because just the way that we can say that the capitalism is masculine and, you know, the uh, socialism is more feminine... Uh, I think there is a more feminine energy, and it's at the same time, there's not energy. enough of it in the world. Yeah.
1: Well, it's funny because if we look at emotions, anger is very much an emotion of a man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like generally. Yeah. 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 You know, um, well, some of the girls that I've wonder- dated. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. Look, look, man, it's been a great conversation. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I'd love to have you back on, as I said. Just to kind of uh, close up this question that I ask uh, all guests is, what are your top three tips from everything that you've ever learned in your life? Your top three tips for uh, someone who is looking to optimize their business leadership and life in general?
1: Um, I think the, the, top, the top three tips to optimizing our life would be To, um, first of all, just have a life. (laughs) That's great. You know, like, 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 seriously. There's all this seriousness that goes on, and if you don't like, when you set your calendar up each week, put having a life in there first. You know, like for (laughs) me, I actually don't have any appointments before eleven a.m. in my ideal week. Mm. and i and i get up at 5am dude so i meditate i walk i exercise i write my gratitude i do all the things that i love doing all my practices you know yeah um so have have the life that you want and have that first that's probably the first thing and just and prioritize that over everything else um and then the second thing i'd say is guard your life you know like What I mean by that is kind of like a gatekeeper for an for a successful CEO is guard what is important to you, protect it, and defend it from other people and other people's agendas and other people's belief systems. Mm. Um, What's important, you you know, you've got to kind of defend. And then and then the third thing I'd say is to just allow just allow it to unfold. Just don't be rigid on it. You know, Um, nothing nothing in space and time is completely and utterly rigid like even the big ball of dirt we're standing on is constantly moving shaping and forming um you know come another million years the sand you're standing on might become rock you know or whatever it is like like sedimentation happens you know like everything is always changing evolving so allow your life to unfold is probably tip number three because everything's going to regardless of whether you let it or not
0: that's amazing, man. Thanks so much.
1: Pleasure, dude. And I didn't know I had those three tips in me until just now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they, they flew naturally. <laughs> awesome. All right. That's
1: cool, man. Thanks, I'll, dude. Appreciate it heaps.
0: Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode of the Life Optimized Show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. And whatever you do, don't keep the episode to yourself. Make sure you go and share it with your friends and networks. Until next time, I'm Dave Singh.